0: You're listening to audio from the Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Morning, Church we haven't met yet, my name is Brian Walk. I serve here on our global mission staff. Um, I also lead our business training trips to Kenya where we help church planners to start small businesses so they can feed their family while they're doing the work of church planning. And I teach a class called Businesses Mission, which just happens to be starting again in February for five weeks. So if you're interested in finding out how God might want to use you, your business skills, uh, what he thinks about work and business and the integration with faith, we'd love to have you join us for that. Our passage today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so, making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, it's good to
1: see you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one in the chair in front of you, uh, unless someone in the nine grabbed that and took it. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Feel free to take that and run. Um, Before we dive in today, I I just wanna highlight yet again, you've seen now that we've fenced off the West Side, uh, so it begins to come down this next week. Uh, And we think long-term that's going to handle finally, by the grace of God, the parking issue here at uh, the village. And so this next little season of life here is going to require some patience uh, with one another and in this space as there's going to be some disruption. So some ideas about how you can make that better. Um, uh, You can, if you'd like, attend our Saturday at four service. Uh, It runs about 670-something people uh, right now. This is around 1,400 people. So you You can see half of this. So it's easier to get in and easier to get out. Uh, Or, uh, and and this is a way I would encourage you, you can ride the shuttle over uh, from our Highland Village campus. And that's going to take a lot of pressure uh, off of the parking lot here at TVC. My my appeal today is, so it begins, as best as you can, let's be gracious to one another in this season where there's going to be some physical disruption to uh, the corner. Anyway, um, excited to get into week three with you. We've been on uh, or in a series called The Creator's Heart uh, and we do it every January. I, I mean, as long as I can remember, this is the series we've done in January. And, and here's the, let, let me catch you up in the series in about three minutes, by the grace of God. Um, we he, Here's God's heart for you. Like I don't, Care what your background is. I don't care how you've come in here today. I don't care what you're guilty of or not guilty of. The offer on the table to you and to me today, according to Jesus, is life—real life, deep life, like life. Life is the promise. Jesus says it this way in John ten ten: I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And so, rather than be believing as Christians in some sort of self help, self-actualization pathway that's going to give us the life that we feel like we're not in, we reject that and agree with Jesus when he says, I am the door, which means if you want life, it's found in me and me alone. And we talked a little bit about this in week one, like what are you with six-pack abs but you? It's still you. What are you with a little bit more money? Honestly, data tells us you're a worse version of you with more money. Like on and on we go. So the true path of transformation and real life, deep life, 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 meaningful life is found in Christ alone. And what pulls on that offer of life, according to Jesus, is lies. He he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in that passage we were in week one, we, we saw that there's a thief that has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So what you and I are navigating in this series and every day of our lives is the offer of life from the creator God of the universe, that's his desire to bring you deep, meaningful life life, and the lies and deceit that pull against that life and promise that it can be found in some other place, ultimately ending up in death, destruction, chaos, and loss, and that's the tension we feel in the world that you and I are in. Now, we said that those lies work themselves out in two different ways. Inside the church, they work themselves out through what what we would call false gospels. They're not the true gospel. They're a moral based gospel. They are um, they're, they're kind of like you don't really have to surrender your life to Jesus. You can just be a good person. False gospel. There's there were three of them that I covered, but outside the church. They, they work these lives, work themselves out through demonic ideologies or false ideologies that promise life, but deliver only death. And we, we covered three of those. Uh, I think the pr- three predominant ones uh, in our culture today. And I want to dive a little bit more deeply into one of those today because I see it everywhere. And in some ways, even leaking into the church itself, And if we don't understand rightly and see clearly, especially over the next 12 months, we're gonna be drug into some divisiveness and nastiness that Christ has come to make right and given us a framework by which it can be made right, and I wanna make sure we don't fall prey to it, okay? Um, I, I said that there's an idea, because this is how demonic principalities and powers work, ideologies, ideas woven into institutions right? Uh, that, that, it was surprising to me that that shocked so many people that, that it's not head spinning around shooting pea soup and climbing up a, a wall, throwing a priest out a window. It, it's ideas. It's ideologies that lead to destruction and death and mayhem. Uh, and I said, one of those is this idea that you can take the complexity of a human being Their backstory, their present reality, their their ethnicity, their socioeconomics, their relationship with their parents, where they grew up, how they grew up. You can reduce all of that to a single attribute and put that attribute front and center against that attribute in others to create division and chaos all under the banner of justice. We call this identity politics. And, And I... I just want to show you a couple of things today. Here's my outline so we can breathe because I know people are nervous now and you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be nervous. Like God's picture of ethnic harmony is one of the most beautiful things ever. Like it is a stunning, celebratory, amazing picture and he gives us the framework in which to thrive in it, even its complexities and injustices. But if you punt on the offer from life to one of these ideologies, History tells us it just ends in murder. History tells us it just ends in murder. So here's my plan. The overarching picture of God's love for ethnic diversity and harmony in the scriptures and then the how we navigate the complexities of it in the here and now. And so I'm gonna start in Genesis and we're gonna work our way to our primary passage. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this historically, but Genesis 1 through 11 when it comes to just time frame, is longer than the whole rest of the history of the Bible combined. Those first 11 chapters hold, uh, I mean, a lot of years, and then they're not good years. Like, you got about an hour and a half of that that was really good, uh, and the rest is just an utter catastrophe. It is the story. Of the de evolution of humanity and of creation into the kind of nastiness that's hard to get the mind around, regardless of your background. Like, there, it is a grotesque picture of what happens when man rejects God. It is all the most heinous, brutal, gross stuff imaginable on steroids. And then what ends up happening in Genesis 12 is God steps in and says, Enough. We're fixing this, we're healing this. And he comes to a man named Abram who becomes Abraham. And here's the promise. This is Genesis 12, two and three. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And that you there's y'all will be a blessing. This great nation I'm gonna make. So he shifted into some text in there, right? And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the ESV says families of the earth. But if you had NIV or another version, it would say nations there will be blessed or shall be blessed. Now, when you and I hear the word nations or see this word family, we, we have a tendency because of the moment of history we're in to think nation states, all right, we tend to think of Germany, or Australia, or Mexico, or Canada, or the United States. We think boundaryed, law, constitution, nation states. But this isn't the concept or idea, not only in the Old Testament, but the new. This is more of the idea of ethnos, or ethnicities, or the Bible sometimes would call them peoples. And so the promise made to Abraham coming out of the train wreck of the first 11 chapters of Genesis is that I'm going to create a people, Israel, the Hebrews, through Abraham, and that through that line, through the line of the Hebrews, all the peoples, all the ethnicities, all the various cultures will be blessed, will be saved, will be brought in, will be made something altogether different than they are in themselves. This is the promise, the light that pricks the darkness. He doubles down on this promise in Genesis twenty-two eighteen to Abraham, and then makes the same promise to his son Isaac in Genesis 26, 4, and then the same promise to Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 28, 14. And then if you know the story, the people of God end up in Israel, and then a Pharaoh rose up that had no remembrance of Joseph and all that Joseph did for Egypt, and the Hebrews are enslaved and brutalized. God calls a stuttering buffoon named Moses to deliver his people because those are the kinds of people that God likes to use, morons and incompetents and murderers, and those are just kind of God's people. So you should feel very welcomed and wanted, right? I'm guessing you score somewhere on that chart. I'm not sure how high up you go. Have you killed anybody with your hands yet? But you should be welcomed and wanted. You should understand that you are when it comes to the kingdom of God. Raises up Moses, and Moses goes, and, and with divine power, exposes the lies of Egyptian power and the people of God are led out of Egypt. But there's this fascinating passage in Genesis 12, 38, and here's what it says. And a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. So what you have coming out of Egypt is not just Hebrews, but actually Egyptians and others who were enslaved by Egypt who saw the power of the creator God de-evolve, right? Uh, What Egypt saw as their gods and their power. And they were like, we want to come. We want to worship the creator God. And they joined the Hebrews heading out to worship God in the wilderness. And from this moment on, this idea of the peoples, the nations, and the various peoples being brought into this movement by God won't stop. Like it's on nearly every page of the Bible because this is a big deal to God. <coughs> let, me, let me show you. Um, right as we get to the edge of the promised land, uh, we find Rahab, and Rahab's a prostitute and a Canaanite, and she is used profoundly to bring the people of God into Jericho. And then you have Ruth, who was a Moabite. Now, between Rahab and Ruth now, you you have the the bloodline of King David, the the archetype of Christ who is to come, and a man after God's own heart. His his bloodline is actually full of foreigners and prostitutes. And like, what are we to make of the fact that, you know who's also in David's line? Jesus. Why we got a prostitute on Jesus's resume? Could it be that he's come to seek and save the lost? Could it be so that you would remember that no one's outside of the saving mercy of Jesus Christ, that even in his own line, there's scandal, but not enough scandal to overcome his grace and power. Uriah was a Hittite. He's one of David's generals. And then I've loved this one forever. David's elite guard, David's mighty men. I don't know if you've studied that. I would just encourage you. These are some... There's some guys that they can handle themselves. Whatever you think about, like the Navy SEALs and stuff, like these guys are killers. They're good men who are very capable of violence, and none of them are Hebrews. Why would you make the elite special forces guard of the greatest king in Israel's history non-Hebrews? Unless you're trying to make a point. Uh, the Recherabites are Kenzites or Kenites, um, th- this is a group in Jeremiah 35 that they're like a holiness movement uh, who not only double down, maybe triple down on the moral law of God. They don't only just do it, but they do beyond what, what it commands. And God blesses them and, and gives them uh, like like, like a, a blessing that was going to go across the generations. Many other foreigners lived in Israel. We see that in the Chronicles. And then I love this. In Esther's time, many of the people of the land became Jews. So remember, God's plan is through this people, the Hebrews, is going to come on who blesses all the peoples. But he's not waiting for the coming of Christ. He is moving in and, and, and kind of you know, blending and creating a, a new people, even among the, the Hebrews before Christ ever shows up. And one of my favorite um, passages around this idea is actually found in the book of Revelation. And, and it's Revelation 21, 24. And here's, uh, here's the Verse. This is, by the way, Revelation 21, that's new heavens and new earth have come down, all things have been made new, that no more crying or death or destruction, no remembrance of former things, all things have been made new. Uh, that's then, right? Not before then, not dragon and lakes of fire. No, 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 this, this is new heavens, new earth. This is what God has for all of us, and you read this sentence. By its light, the light of the unfettered presence of Jesus Christ will the nations, ethnoses, peoples walk. And the kings of earth will bring their glory into it or into that presence. So there's a giant swatch of scholarship that makes the argument around this passage that what you're seeing in this moment is not culture flattened and all of a sudden there's a heavenly culture, but the idea that embedded into each and every peoples on earth is a picture of and a piece of the beauty and creative zeal of God to be honored and worshiped. And he embedded them in different peoples, cultures, people groups. And on the day, all things have been made new. The good that is redeemed and perfect and beautiful and right and a gift to all humanity is brought before King Jesus and laid at his feet and becomes for all of us, the experience of God's creative beauty and goodness. I love this passage. Like the culture of heaven is not it's not monolithic. It's going to be there in all, like in every culture on earth, there are these pictures of God's goodness, picture of God's beauty, picture of God's grace. And, and there is no cultural appropriation in heaven because he's the one that gave it all to all of us to be enjoyed and the silliness will be burned out of it. and We're going to rejoice that God's good and creative and kind like that. That's what you see happening. and Do you see, like, you cannot read your Bible and see this idea of God's love for and desire for ethnic harmony and beauty to be front and center at what he's doing among peoples of the earth. If you want to test me, just read your Bible. But pay attention when you read words like Moabite, peoples, nations, And you will see on repeat that God is saying, this is actually really cool. This is actually really beautiful. But the Bible's also not tone deaf to the complexities of it. And in our sinfulness, we have a pull towards homogeny. We have a pull towards likeness. We have a pull towards uh, uh, same as, as opposed to other than. This is true culturally. This is true socioeconomically. This is true in regards to ethnicity. Everyone pulls towards their own. Anyone who wants to argue that they don't shouldn't be trusted. This is a pull in all of us. And so the Bible doesn't shrink back from the complexities or the heinous brutality that can sometimes be in this space. So, so remember, we, we were just looking at like, what God was doing before the coming of Christ. He was just weaving it in before the coming of Christ. And in the coming of Christ, he, he like nukes it. And so let's read our passage together today. This is Ephesians 2. We're going to start in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, he's talking about Gentiles there, Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both. If you circle or highlight in your Bible. I would just circle that word. Both one. And has broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments. Expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself. One new man. In the place of two. So making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, what you see is an admonition here that there are true and real walls of hostility when it comes to ethnicity. Um, In this moment in, in history, uh, there were actual laws. I, I would argue that this moment that Ephesians 2 is being right is akin to the Jim Crow era in the United States. There are actual laws on the books prohibiting the intermingling between races and ethnicities. So that think Jim Crow South in particular. That's probably the moment uh, of history. That's the experience that people are having In this moment. In fact, we know this because when Peter goes to visit uh, Cornelius of the Italian cohort, he he makes a statement. Here's the statement. I'll read it. See, this is Acts 10, 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Did you hear it? He's heading to, driven by the Spirit, to Cornelius' house, who's of the Italian cohort. He is part of an occupying force that's brutalized the people of God. And so there was a law. You will be unclean if you interact with these people. But provoked by the Spirit, Peter goes and shares the gospel, and Peter or Cornelius and his whole household actually become believers. But there's a law on the books. That says what you're doing is illegal. In fact, after Cornelius is saved, the church gathers together and discusses whether or not God's allowed to do that. <laughs> because that's, that's how dumb we are. And, and then Paul's playing, a, he's not playing a game here, but he's, there literally was a wall in the temple that separated Gentiles from Jews. There was a wall that if you went past it and you were a non-Jew, they could legally kill you without recourse. In fact, we know this, not just from what we know from other sources at this time, but archeologists have found the sign warning Gentiles on the outer wall. It just read, to Gentiles, whoever is captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death, right? That's just like Gentiles. You pass this point, you can be killed. This is, these are walls, of, like how do these people build these laws and act like this when the whole Old Testament is like, let the nations be glad. Let the nations see the light. Let the nations come into my house. Let, like, like, this, is what hap- this is what I'm saying. The drift is never towards difference. It's always towards like. It's always towards sameness, which, by the way, is how Jesus is going to put a bullet in the head of that nonsense. So let's read this together. How does Jesus tear down this wall of hostility? Look at verse 15. It's, the, it's two ways by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That's the first one. So look at me and let's celebrate together. You do not have to become a Jew to become a Christian. Remember how God said, through Abraham, I'm going to create a nation. Through that nation, I'm going to bless all the nations on earth. Well, in Christ's coming... He has fulfilled the dietary laws and some of the other ordinances that were given to the people of God to make them different than the rest of the world at that time. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. And if you're not and you're older, praise his name. Right? Like we don't have to become Jews. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to be a Christian. Those laws, those observances, now the moral law is present. Christ did not eradicate the moral law. God expects and commands us to live rightly under the moral law of God. Christ has imputed his righteousness to us. But the the moral law of God is very much in place. But that's a different subject. That's free. That's not even in my notes. This is how is the dividing wall of hostility torn down. Number one, we don't all have to become Jews right? So I don't have a Jewish background or Jewish culture. I'm looking around. Most of us don't. You don't have to go that way. That's been handled. But then this is where, this is where I get pumped. So let's look at it together. He's going to take, here's, here's the text, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near he's he's using a greek word for one new man here this idea of new it's not chronos not like time or optimization but the word in the greek is Kinos, like brand new, like this has never been done before. So, one of the illustrations I've used historically is don't think like the new Emirates 787 Dreamliner where you've got a bed and a shower and a club upstairs. Think the Wright brothers flyer. This has never been done before. And so, the word new here, this thing that Jesus has done, is saying, hey, This is brand new. This is never, I'm taking what is different and I'm saying no longer by my blood are they different. They're the same. And that drift towards sameness that can wreak havoc on humanity and lead to murder, death, and division in Christ has been removed and been replaced by sameness, without eradicating individual cultures, without destroying backgrounds, without trying to kind of hide ethnicity, but like right in the middle of it, there is now a replacement of difference with sameness. Let's look at it together. Look at verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Look at th- the next verse is huge. Look at 19. 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So here's, I don't know if you, you saw it, that he has handled the vertical issue that that by his blood we have been look at look at verse 18 that through him we both have access to one spirit to the father so so that you and I have been made right before the living God but then look at what happens horizontally look at 19 so then listen to this You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you see how he replaces difference with sameness? Since our drift is towards sameness? He he says, listen, now that you have been given access, rich and poor, black and white and brown and yellow and red, since you have been given one access to one God through one spirit, you are no longer... strangers and aliens you are family and fellow citizens and this sameness that i can't save me and you can't save you and you were a sinner and i was a sinner and christ has saved us replaces and pushes out every other allegiance and makes us first and foremost allegiant to him and to his kingdom and therefore to one another And this becomes the framework that we can step into and work through the complexity of injustice and brokenness. You cannot create division to create this kind of harmony. The blood of Jesus does it. So I don't say these things actually to provoke. When I say I have more in common with an Iranian Christian than I do an unbelieving American. And I have more in... In fact... They, I have more in common with an African American, Latino, Asian, Indian believer in Christ than I do even the white people in my own family who don't believe. My my family is bigger than my blood family. The blood family I'm a part of right now, according to the Bible, is made up of men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. And we're moving towards that, and this becomes, there's a sameness here that pulls us together. There's a sameness here that makes us respect one another. There's a sameness here that Jesus is saying, no, no, I tore down that wall. I tore it down and I replaced it with my presence and you get my presence because my goodness, not because of your background or your hard work or what you think about yourself or how you want to self-identify or you, you're bigger, more complex than any single attribute that might be made up in your life. And then here's the, here's the thing. He, he uses this word in verse 21 where he says, in whom the whole structure being joined together Grows. This word grows here, and he says grows into a holy temple in the Lord, is like a continuous action. So so the idea that you and I are going to grow into the fullness and beauty of this is process. It's a process that happens as we celebrate our sameness in him and are confronted by the complexity of various issues that accompany (laughs) ethnic harmony. It's not like we get saved and this is done. Look at me. Because nothing works like that except justification. Sanctification is a long, windy dirt path that lasts your whole life. And most of the time you're confused uh, whether or not you're on it. Like in what area of your life, you just give your life to Christ, never a struggle again, never. No, this is a long journey home. He's used, like, I'm growing you into, and you know what's necessary for growth? Friction, pain, failure, so it shouldn't surprise us that at times we miss one another. What I'm trying to do today is create a framework by which we can have the kind of complex conversations that are necessary for us to get to harmony. In fact, we see the drift even with all of this, even with the Holy Spirit. We, we see this drift take place in the people of God even as we work through the New Testament. In Acts 11, persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. The church spreads. They don't share the gospel with anybody but other Jews. Wait, what? Huh? Peter, our boy Peter, who just should make everyone in the room feel good about their faith. (laughs) Like he's the one used by God to see the first large group of Gentiles come into the kingdom. And like it doesn't take him long to drift back to homogeneity. He has to be rebuked by the apostle Paul to his face because the Bible tells us this group of men came from Jerusalem and they were kind of big wig, kind of powerful Jews of the day. And Peter stopped eating with the gentiles he put down that bacon sandwich man he put it down which is sin because bacon makes everything better and he puts down the pork and he stops eating with gentiles and he just eats with the jews and it's so disoriented that barnabas is deceived Like, Barnabas is a human golden retriever. He's never seen anyone. He didn't want to jump on and have an encouraging word for and fetch a stick for. I mean, Barnabas loves everybody. He watches Peter drift towards homogeny. He he watches Peter refuse to eat with the Gentiles and just establish himself with the Judaizers. And Paul confronts it and says that it's out of step with the gospel. That the gospel has purchased oneness and you're out of step. You've gone back to difference, you've put back up the wall of hostility, and I have come to tear it down. And my people should live in such a way that they tear it down. And I just wanna argue again that this is a framework that can hold the tension of the conversations around ethnicity, whatever they are. You cannot replace that with identity politics and it not end in murder and then create a cycle of murder. Because whoever has power next exerts revenge on the one before, and then the next group comes back to power and exerts. I just read a history book. The idea leads to murder and death or what Jesus would call, right? The thief comes only to kill, steal and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, sameness, See one another, rejoice in one another, learn one another, marvel at my good gift to each and all, celebrate this is how all things will be when my work is finished. And so how are we to live into this? And I'm going I'm to show that I've still got quite a bit of Baptist in me with some alliteration. Three L's. Here's how I think you grow into this and we learn to thrive with one another um, uh, across the, the ethnic spectrum. W- one, across the spectrum, there needs to be a deep commitment to learning. Uh, I am a product of where I was born, how I was raised, my family of origin, and w- the way I was educated with the highs and lows of my life. That's, that's how this happened. I didn't like spontaneously poof, right? Uh, I'm not, I don't know all the streams of learning in the universe. I, I, I grew up, in a kind of house, with a kind of parent, in a kind of grid and system of belief. I have been irreparably shaped by that. Well, I don't want to say irreparably because the gospel is pretty powerful. I have been deeply and profoundly shaped by that. So I want to, by the grace of God, replace that with curiosity. I don't want to think that the way I was raised and the way that I think and the way I've experienced the world is everyone's. And if when all said and done, God has put beautiful, worthy of celebration, worthy of enjoying aspects in all cultures on earth, I want to be super curious about that. I don't want to just live life based on my own preferences. I want to understand. I want to explore. I want to learn. Um, and so I have, like, I have deep friendships where I can have good conversations about where I get confused. And my emotions are the best check engine light and the best you need to ask somebody kind of things that I have. Like emotions uh, you don't want them driving the car, but you want them in the car. You're trying to, like, they make great backseat drivers. You just don't want to give them the gas and the brake, nor the steering wheel. So if like, something bothers you, that's not wrong, but I would want you to be more curious than powering up and ready to make war. Right, like, what does it look like to be curious? What, what does it look like to be curious beyond your culture? And, and just to be completely fair, I, I don't know if everybody knows this room, but, but whiteness actually has a pretty broad. You know, we got some Germans, we got some French, we got some English, we got some odd, We got, I mean, we, the whiteness is pretty, it's pretty broad in itself. There's a different kinds of whiteness. Like, what it would it be like to be curious about? Like what it is here that God finds so beautiful or help me understand this. Like I, I, I see it this way, what, what am I missing? Help me, like help, what, what can I not see? Rather than fuming and meaning and being really quick to label something critical theory or something, because critical theory is demonic and evil. But, but, but if you don't listen because you can attach a buzzword to it, it's not helpful and it's out of step with what God is up to. So we wanna be committed to learn. Um, we wanna be committed to lament. Um, And what I mean by lament is corporately mourn when horrific things happen. Lament is a gift of God's grace to his people to have a place to take anger, rage, and confusion. When you make Christianity just kind of a spirit sprinkle existence, you miss the great gift of lament, that you and I have a place to take confusion, hurt, rage, and we get to take it to the Lord in a way that he doesn't despise or turn his back on, and and what shocked me over the years is that this kind of prayerful lament of asking God to do something about the brokenness that we see is oftentimes accompanied by people saying, "You got to do more than pray." Okay, she's not going to do less than, and good luck trying to topple demonic principalities and powers with your willpower. Good luck, bro. I'm guessing you're taking a lot more creatine than I am right now. If you want to take on things at that level. No, powerful movements of God move because of the saints of God praying and then out of that learning and lamenting beginning to live lives that push back darkness. Right? And that's the the third L, to live out of what we've learned and where we've lamented. And this is a space, man, even in my own journey, I've been learning and then correcting and then backing off and then pressing in and getting because I've been in relationships across the spectrum that help me see and understand things I just didn't have the possibility or understanding to see at the moment because of how I was raised or what I learned or what my grit is and I need help. From others, and this is the posture in which we can interact with one another and love one another and become a completely different plausibility structure than the world out there. And I think this is important because you are going to begin to feel in the next six months a deep pull opposite to what I'm saying today. You are going to feel behind the activity of a few. The demonic intention to divide, enrage, and to move towards violence among men. And the church of Christ has to say, no. Our framework is sameness. I, I see you first and foremost as brother, sister, co-heir with Christ. My eternal family. That's our lead foot. That's how I want you to see me. This is how I plan on seeing you. It's not that, that I'm not kind of a, a white boy from the backwoods of Missouri whose dad joined the Navy and we traveled all over. That, that's part of my story. It's not who I am. It's part of my background, but it's not who I am. Like I'm a son of the living God bought with the blood of Christ, made new by the mercy of God. An idiot who the Lord happens to adore. That puts me at a different posture towards you. I, I've received that, and so I want to hand that to you because it was given to me. Then I'm, I'm never, you're never going to be your ethnicity right out of the gate. You're not going to be less than that because you're very much that. But you're so much more than that. I would want you to see yourself as more than that, to, to delight in yourself as more than that. It doesn't mean that it goes away. It just means that my allegiance is to the kingdom. My citizenship's in a different kingdom. My, my families. it's a beautiful, wild, crazy, multicultural, kind of transcultural community of faith that God's working out the beauty of the gospel in. And so here's how I thought we would end today. I'm gonna pray over us. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing the old hymn, Nothing But the Blood. Because Jesus is on repeat saying, I have spilled my blood to heal the bloodshed of the various tribal ethnicities and violences that go horizontal. I have made you right vertically and have made you a family horizontally. And I will empower you to live that way. So let me pray for us. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. Help us. There are very powerful forces pulling us in different directions, in different ways. And and Lord, we want to reject those things. We want to be gospel people. I I want the, the lead foot, the lead lenses of my eyes and my soul to see my family as your family. And let us be the healing balm over the madness of our day that would condense someone's personhood their humanity into some single aspect meant to divide and and to provoke rage and violence heal us heal our land there are real issues that have to be worked through but without this grid what will we do except repeat really gross history help us we need you through your beautiful name I pray amen